I invite people to listen to themselves, to dare to dive deep in themselves, to understand, to see that they are living the path, that they are fulfilled, that they're feeling meaningful. And if the answer is not to dare to act upon it and change the path, because we have a free choice and let's use it as human beings and bring our present to the world. So this is what I invite in the people. Hey, my friends, this is Nishant and welcome to another episode of the Nishant Kirk Show. My mission is to help people get in touch with their emotions and feelings, connect to themselves and to be a source of healing. My job on this show is to invite the world-class experts to deconstruct the practices, routines and habits to help you live a fulfilled and abundant life. Every Friday, I share a newsletter which has all the latest podcast updates and I also include three to five new things that I'm currently learning and that can be any new book I'm reading, blogs and articles I'm exploring, resources from YouTube and anything else that captures my attention in that particular week. And you can find the newsletter link at my website nishantgarg.me n-i-s-h-a-t-g-a-r-g.me and my today's guest is Karen Sook. Karen is a keynote speaker, consultant and thought leader. She is the founder and CEO of consulting firm Wisdom to Lead. She specializes in the development of senior management teams and corporate leadership. Karen guides companies and senior management teams to reach their full potential using various techniques in the field of mindfulness. And she is also the author of Mindfully Wise Leadership, The Secret of Today's Leaders. And without further ado, please enjoy this amazing mindful conversation with Karen Suk. Karen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to our conversation. Looking forward to talking to you as well, Karen. So I love your accent. So tell us where are you from? I'm from Israel. <laughs> you can hear by my accent, I understand. <laughs> Where in Israel? Have you been in Israel? I have not been to Israel yet. So you should come and visit. So I'm in the north of uh, Tel Aviv, 20 minutes from Tel Aviv in the Sharon area. Yeah. I would like to tell our listeners that how we got connected. So we did a blog post in November 2021. So you wrote an amazing blog post on Wisdom to Lead for my website. And that's how we got connected and now you have a new book mindfully wise leadership right we will get a chance to talk more about your book but before we go into the weeds i would love to ask you that you recommend two books one is the alchemist and second is that your dad gave to you and the book name is living with joy keys to personal power and spiritual transformation so why do you recommend these two books because you know for the alchemist it's a, it's a story about a boy that looking for his purpose in life for his mission and it talks about his own journey and listening to yourself and every resilience to deal with the challenging and, and adversity along the way and you know i really believe that each and every one of us has present that he came to bring to the world and finding this voice, this present, is sometimes challenging. But once we get there, it's really fulfilling. And actually, this uh, 
book I wrote during my journey and it gave me a lot of inspiration uh, and a lot of uh, insights to continue searching for my present, for my unique voice, continuing with the journey. So this was really an inspiring book for me. And the other book, I was in a, in a period in my life that I was struggling. You know, it was a period in my life that I remember I didn't have a boyfriend or spouse. I, I didn't have work. Every interview I, I went, I got rejected. And I was really asking myself tough questions. And I remember that my dad gave me this book to read. And he gave me a specific book, actually, about talking about appreciations of life. And then I understood that even though I don't have the external things like a boyfriend, a walk, I have a lot in my life. I had good friends then. And I have a, a supportive family. And a really insightful moment that I had, understanding that, you know, love exists everywhere, not only in romantic love. And it was really epiphany for me to understand, okay, we can feel loved, we can be loved without the romantic love, because love exists. And this is what the fuel of life. So it was a really important time for me and also to understand, to love myself unconditionally, not related to what I'm doing, to my work, to my, uh, what I'm learning right now, what I'm, which apartment I'm living in, based more on the essential things in life. So it was also a defining moment for me. Could you share more about the struggle at that time when you read this book and how this book helped you to navigate your struggles? Look, I don't know how are you, but I'm really self-criticizing myself a lot. Everything is not good <laughs> enough. You know? <laughs> I see you empathizing with me, so I understand you're also <laughs> connected to this part of your brain. It's nothing good enough, and you see the bad things, although there's a lot of good things in your life. And it's really challenging, you know. And for me, this moment was understanding to see the half full glass and not only the empty half glass and to appreciate what it is right now. And I really was immersed with a lot of friends. We were a few friends meeting all, always and loving each other and enjoying the time together and supporting each other. And I had a great apartment, a place for myself. I had my space. And I understood that that's enough. You don't need to do things you're not loved because what you're doing, it's not connected to your job. It's not connected to things outside of you. And the ability to appreciate it, it's not a common uh, pattern for me, I must be honest, because I usually look what's missing. And this is also what motivates me, but it's really distracting. So the ability to focus our attention, and I'm telling you, I'm being honest also now, today in the morning, my monkey mind worked really hard. This not good, and this not good, and this, and this. And it was amazing, you know, I talked with my spouse, and I told him, wow, my monkey mind doesn't stop working, stop working. And he told me, okay, it's only thoughts. And I said, okay, right, I need to let them go. But it's amazing to see it. Although I'm practicing for 20 years, to see it happening, our mind and the destruction, thoughts, and not letting them manage us, this is really challenging. Let's talk about monkey mind. When you have this monkey mind chattering, how do you ground yourself? 
So there's various ways, you know, maybe if I feel like I'm going jogging you know, or doing something physically and being in the moment, usually I meditate if I have the time, I find the 20 minutes and start the morning or this moment with meditation and only being in the moment, listening to my breath, seeing the monkey mind, seeing my thoughts, but letting them go till the next thought that comes <laughs> to bother me. Uh, another way, um, actually, this is the uh, going to nature, even not jogging, but going to around in nature to immerse myself with my nature. For me, nature is a great meditation, so I really enjoy being there. Another way, another tip that I use a lot and I love it is the journaling. Do you know the journaling? So I'm taking three papers and starting to write whatever comes to my mind. I'm taking all my monkey mind and putting it on the papers. And Do then you I'm journal getting it every day? No, not every day. It's, uh, when, when I feel like I'm taking, you know, it can be between meetings when I'm bothered before a new meeting, after the other one. I'm taking the papers and starting writing down things, cleaning myself and coming first to the next meeting. So I use it occasionally, but you know, not in a spontaneous way when I feel like. Do you have any other practice that you do on a daily basis? Beyond meditation, jogging, uh, and other practices. Not something that comes to my mind. What do you do? What do I do? I meditate and I journal every day in the morning. You journal every... Yes, once in the past I, was, I journaled every morning. That's great, actually, to open the day like this. For me... Journaling is a very useful tool. It doesn't have to be two pages or three pages, even if few lines that are on my mind. And sometimes I do it a couple of times a day whenever my mind is caged by monkeys. So, <laughs> so yes. And I want to circle back to your childhood. I was reading about you and I read that when you were a child, you relocated to South Africa for a few years. So what right. were the events leading up to you and your family moving to South Africa? I remember, you know, it was strange. I came as a girl and, you know, in Israel, we are really spontaneous. Like if you want to meet a, a friend, you go to your friend. You don't need to schedule. And in South Africa, it was like the play date. If you wanted to meet with a friend, your mother needed to open the diary and set a meeting for you. And once the meeting, after three days, when the time came, I didn't want to meet with a friend because I was in another place already. So you know, it was it was interesting to experience a different culture. It gave me a, a wider perspective to understand different cultures and different norms. And so this is what was my experience. And getting to know different people, I loved it. And it's a really different culture from where I came from. Although, you know, there always the community of the people who came from your country. So you have also the community that you came with and the new people. So it's a great experience for me to get to know new cultures, new norms, explore. I love exploring, seeing the world. So it was a good one. Why did he move to South Africa? Because my father brought the... Apple, the new Apple to the, techno to the schools there. He was the head of technology in Israel and he brought the new computers, Apple, when it was like a, the logo was with the colors, you remember the Apple logo? <laughs> he actually brought it into the schools to implement the, the new computers. So 
we went there for three years. How was your relationship with your dad and mom while growing up? Wow, how was the relationships? They were good, you know. However, during my adolescence and growing up, you see patterns that, you know, we, I believe that we, in a kind of way, choose our parents, even unconsciously. So you need to grow through the relationship. So now I must say that I healed myself around all the wounds with my parents, you know, what I felt uncomfortable, and now we are in great relationships. I can't say it was always during the years. I need I had the um, complex relationships, you know. Although they were doing the best, giving love and, you know, how they could handle it, but I needed to cope with things within myself and I think they gave me a lot of love and a lot of uh, in, they enabled me a lot of space to find myself, to connect to myself, and it's a huge present for me because This is actually what I'm helping people now to connect to themselves and, and create space for others. So I had it in my house. So it's crucial. You mentioned that you healed your wounds around your parents. Are you comfortable mm-hmm. to talk about how did you heal and what journey you took? I can share one pattern, you know, that I feel comfortable You know, usually as parents, and we also are parents, and we're also doing, making mistakes, you know, we are human. But a pattern that I had you in my life that once I didn't fulfill their desires or didn't please them, I was kind of punished, you know, not in even a conscious way, but I didn't get space or I didn't get attention or something that caused me to understand that I need always to please them in order to get the attention because if I won't cooperate with what they want, I would lose them. So as a child, I cooperated with this pattern, but along the way, when I decided to connect with myself, I, I understood that I need to listen to myself and I need to please myself. And even if it means that they won't love it, and there were times in our connection that we weren't in connection because I, I agreed to let go. And I said, okay, I'm not losing myself. I love myself. I need to learn to love myself. And part of the process I learned to love myself unconditionally. And there was challenging times because there were times that I was really disconnected from my father. We didn't talk for a long time, period of time. And it wasn't easy for me. However, this process enabled me to do a, big, a deep work within myself, to let go of patterns that didn't serve me anymore, to accept myself. And you know what's the amazing part? That because I did this deep work with myself, and letting go of patterns that were really challenging for me to let go, and being there feeling not loved, but giving the acceptance to myself and loving myself, then my dad called me and asked me to speak, that he wants to, us to speak, and we had a three hours talk, and it was so frank talk. Yeah, we talked about all the years, what I felt in the the unpleasant feeling that I had, and he, was, he really listened to me, and it was amazing conversation because it healed our relationships, and today we have a new relationship, so it's worth it to do a deep dive into yourself. <laughs> I have a lot of follow-up questions. May I ask you some follow-up questions on this spectrum? Yes, you can. 
How old were you when you had this conversation with your dad and when it changed everything for you? This year, actually. This year. In 2022. No, the, yes, in 2022. Yes, because uh, really, I think the coronavirus made all of us stop, pause, and reflect upon ourselves. I took it really seriously, you know, as a mindfulness practitioner. I, I'm transforming myself every minute. I'm really, this is part of my passion to, to evolve and be a better person each and every moment that I can. So I think this two years gave me also the ability and maybe caused me to go even deeper to myself because I'm already in this journey for 20 years, you know, it's not a, so it's a process. And also in the past we were disconnected and we connected again, but I, this time I feel it was the last thing that we needed to clean, to, that I needed to heal within myself that resonated through the connection with my father. And once I healed it within myself, everything was open between us. And now we are, really have great relationships. Wow. So, thank you for sharing. And what you are reminding us that there are many layers of unhealed trauma or unhealed wounds. It takes time. It takes years. And you mentioned a lot of great points about deep work, acceptance, learning to self-love, learning to letting go. They sound simple, but they are not easy and simple. Could you tell us what steps and what measures did you take in this process to really be having this conversation right now with us? With myself, you, you mean, right? What did I do with myself? Look, I mean, I'm in this process for 20 years. You know, I'm on this path for 20 years. Actually, when I started this journey, I wanted to, I started going to a, I don't know, you can call it a healer or therapist. And I was looking at myself and reflecting upon my automatic behaviors, seeing what doesn't work for anymore. And you know, I'm really exposing myself right now. <laughs> I hope I won't regret it. But when I started um, going out with my husband now, we, I also had another pattern. I realized when he really is a friendly person and wanted to meet a lot of people, and I also friendly, but every time he wanted to go out, I felt abandoned, bonded. And it was really tough for me. Was really, I was really struggling. And, you know, we, both of us really love freedom, so it doesn't work out to do, tell each other what to do. So I started to look within myself what this... Sadness that arises within me, the badness and emotions that arises within me. And I started working on my automatic behaviors in order to let them go and not manage me, not let them manage me. So this is how I started my journey, actually, reflecting upon myself. And, you know, it's funny because my MBL course starts like, like this. Each and every one. What is MBL? Mindfulness-based leadership course. Actually, when I developed it, In hindsight, I understood that it starts like my journey because in the first meeting session, each and every one takes an automatic behavior to reflect upon it and it doesn't serve him anymore and to start working with it. So it's amazing. You know what I'm doing with myself? Now I'm bringing outside the, to the world. Uh, so this is actually what got me started and seeing what doesn't serve me anymore and letting this automatic behaviors go. And... 
this is a starting point. Along the journey, you know, I'm, I'm continuously exploring and reflecting about myself, what I feel uh, doesn't work for me anymore, when I feel stagnation, when I feel unpleasant feelings, I'm, I'm pausing and being with them to understand what does it want to tell me, listening to my wisdom in order to direct me. And, you know, another interesting story, parallel to this story, you know, in the beginning of my journey, I was disconnected from myself. I didn't want to feel because it really was scary for me, you know, to be vulnerable, to be in connection, uh, to feel what I'm feeling. I, I thought I won't be able to handle it. So I was really guarding myself, protecting myself. I disconnected from my feelings. And I think from, by that I disconnected a little bit from life because n- nothing got into me, you know, into my heart. It was really protected. And I remember a conversation I had with my mom a challenging conversation when we were, there was a point in the conversation that I told her, you know, I'm feeling right now that I'm not feeling anything. And this is actually was also part of the start of my journey. In a paradoxical way, I felt my disconnection. And then I started to start connecting to myself. And I think, you know, it's a challenge uh, of a lot of people nowadays because we are really scared to be connected to our feelings, to our emotions. However, I really believe that nowadays this is what will differentiate us from the machines, right? All the threads that connected to our heart, compassion, passion, creativity, empathy. So I think we don't have any more choice not to connect to this qualities within us, but this is a journey. I think you can agree with me. What do you think? I absolutely agree. It is a journey and Sitting with the pain and emotions aren't easy. They take time and uh, it takes time and work to really practice sitting with the pain and emotions. Yep. So once you let go of your automatic behavior of abandonment that you realized Mm -hmm. with your husband, I'm curious to ask you, how did your relationship with your husband changed or evolved after that automatic behavior got disappear something opened you know there was a space he didn't uh, manage me anymore when he wanted to go out i understood that it's not personally against me that he he wants his freedom that he wants to enjoy so it created took our relationship to another level and you know relationship is a journey you know i believe that each and every one there's another challenging situation that we need to overcome but this is a journey reflecting upon upon what's mine and what's his and what his behavior resonates within me and how to, I want to act upon it. So it's a journey, but for sure, now yes. the relationships are great. This automatic behavior of abandonment is quite common. I used to have that. I have very little bit of that, not much. So as a listener to this podcast, I'm wondering if I feel this way, what do I do? Where should I go? What practice should I adopt to really let go and be with this abandonment thing? So, look, I use today, I also practice, I don't know if you know this method focusing, you know the method focusing called focusing of Dr. Eugene. He he developed a practice listening to our inner world, to our emotions, to our sensation and working with them. Like when you give, create space, to reverse emotions, something can transform. Otherwise, you know, we are disconnected from ourselves. 
So usually I can offer people to pause and reflect upon, connect to the feelings, you know, and you can have various emotions at the same time. I can feel sadness, I can feel abandoned, I can feel enjoyment, and give them, giving them space and being with them, and maybe asking what emotion needs your help right now, what this emotion wants to tell you. So it's really inner work, first of all, understanding and creating space. You know, an emotion actually is motion, right? So once we give place to our emotions, they can transform. Only by giving attention to my feeling right now, without acting upon my feeling, can create the space and can change them and transform, and something can change in my outer world. And, and a second tip I can give is communicate. Communi- you know, the crucial element is communication with ourselves and with others. So communi- you can communicate with your partners or your friend, what are you feeling right now? without accusing them of their behavior, but sharing your own experience. And then we don't create antagonism, right? Because I'm coming from my own personal experience. I don't come with blame. I'm only coming from sharing the vulnerability. Why are you laughing? <laughs> <laughs> so I want to tell other listeners that we are recording this on video so she can see me that I'm laughing. But I'm laughing because I want to ask you about the example of communicating in an effective way what is the could you give us an example when you're having a challenge with someone then how would you communicate in a better okay. way so you know we really learned to communicate only the rational aspect and as i i'm saying there are two layers of communication there is the rational communication that we all agree in you know Uh, cause and effect, rational communication, and there's the emotional communication, what we are feeling right now. And we abandoned the emotional communication. Let's be honest, a lot, of us, a lot of us don't know what we are feeling right now. So this is the first practice, what I said in the beginning, right? Understanding what I'm feeling right now, now and naming it. But once I understand what I feel, I can speak my feelings instead of being managed by my feelings, right? If I'm angry right now, instead of shouting at someone, I can talk with my colleague or friend or whoever, whoever and say, you know, I'm really uh, angry right now. I'm really frustrated right now. So what I offer to communicate is using both languages. What do you mean? What does it mean? Starting by acknowledging that I see the other person is emotional state. Okay, I can talk with my colleague and tell him, look, I see that you're really disappointed. Okay, so he feels seen, right? He feels seen that I see his feelings. And then I can talk the rational aspect because you wanted me to deliver this yesterday and I didn't do it, okay? And now I'm speaking myself. First of all, my emotional experience, okay? So, and I feel also disappointment because I was reaching out to you and you didn't respond, okay? So I'm talking my emotional experience, my emotional language, and my rational language. So I'm giving a complete place to the other person, complete place to myself, and now I'm creating a space and I'm saying, okay, saying that, let's see how we can go forward. What are the two, three ways that we can find that will be a win-win solution? So there's something more complete in this conversation because, you know, once I worked with the two co-founders to help them navigate their conflicts, so one of them started the, the meeting by saying, okay, let's talk about the rational facts. 
So I told her, you know, there's not really rational facts. At the end of the day, it's a subjective experience that we are talking about. So I think giving place to our experience, it's really crucial in the emotional aspect. Yes, very true. And I want to ask you different things right now, Karen. So I read that when you were 18, you served in the army as part of your mandatory service to your country. I'm curious, why was it mandatory? Because in Israel, it's a mandatory service. It's not a, you don't, you can't choose if you want to be there or no. It's part of the journey. You go to college and then you go to, no, before you go to school, then you go to the army and then you go to college. It's a different path. Yeah. So what so did you do in the army? I was a sniper instructor. <laughs> what does it mean? It means that I taught uh, soldiers how to be good snipers, to be focused <laughs> and to take out targets. <laughs> and then what did you study after serving in army? I studied a, a psychology, sociology, and education. And then what happened after that? And then I did the MA degree, and then I did my PhD. But during the during the path, I also worked as an organization consultant and did my PhD and in a leadership, mindful leadership. Mindful leadership. Why mindful leadership in PhD? Any any reason behind that? Why? Because I was really interested in what is the role of leaders in creating. Uh, financially successful organization alongside motivating their employees for meaningfulness, for intrinsic motivation. I was really curious to see what people can do different, what leaders can do different in order to enable different workplaces. You know, I was an organization consultant and I was working with organizations and leaders and I felt something missing. I felt a kind of abuse, a lack of meaning in the work. So I was searching for what's this ingredient that we need to do differently in order to create different workplaces that engage people from a deeper place. So I don't know, it's something that was beyond my rational thinking. It was, you know, I remember that as a consultant, I went to the, to the library of the university and I found an article and I understood that this will be the theme of my PhD. When you actually, to be honest... To be honest, the PhD was called spiritual leadership in organization. The role of, what is the role of leaders in creating spiritual workplaces? But I don't use this word spiritual because I understand the business world, don't understand it. So maybe we need to cut it out. <laughs> so when you were pursuing your PhD in mindful leadership, did you have mindfulness practice in your own personal life at the time? Yes. You know, it's funny because I didn't connect the dot back then. I started working with myself upon my automatic behavior, increasing my self-awareness. So I did it eclectically, not with an agenda. And I was working on myself, for myself, not as something to bring to the world. And five years ago, I was invited to, and then I did my, conducted my PhD. And five years ago, I was invited to Poly University to teach there in, the, in their program, the open and second degree called Executive Meaningful Innovative Leadership and actually opened 30 hours component of mindfulness and he invited me to teach there. And then, you know, all the dots connected because then I understood that the practice that I did for myself, I'm now going to bring it to the business world because before that, I didn't 
call it mindfulness. I always worked from a place of mindfulness with leaders and managers, but I didn't call it like this. But only five years ago, I, dis- I understood that this is will be the tools that I will bring to the organizations. And then I started to develop, I developed the mindfulness-based leadership course, which combines various kinds of meditation and practice and therapy and the retreats. But it, I didn't do it for bringing it to the business world, but you know, something you get to a point that there is integration with all these thoughts in your life. So this is how it unfolded for me. How do you explain mindfulness to business leaders? So I explain, you know, my definition, first of all, in, in the exposures lecture to understand what does it mean. So I'm using also the classical definition of Dr. John Kabat-Zinn, the ability to be present here and now in a non-judgment way, right? Intentionally. And my definition is actually the same but a little different, the ability to be aware of an experience that we are going through. It can be a thought that runs through our mind, maybe an emotion, a process that I'm going through without, in a non-judgmental way and without being managed by it. Let me give you an example. For example, I was in Hong Kong in, a, in an intensive business trip and I lectured, uh, teach there for 10 hours the, in PolyU and then I had a, I was, there was a colleague and we had a presentation to deliver to a client. And we we had only two hours. And while we were starting to work on it, I said something really naive. He asked about the setting of the meeting and he lost it. And he talked toward me in a really unpleasant manner. And I really was, didn't feel comfortable with it. I feel, felt um, uneasy with it. And at the same moment, we said, okay, let's take one hour off. And once I took myself out of the situation, I asked myself, okay, beyond the unpleasant feeling that I'm feeling right now, what's happening here? Because I didn't understand. And then I understood, you know, when I'm feeling stressed, I like to ask questions to feel in control. And I understood that when he's stressed, usually in the lecture, I, say, I ask guys, what are you doing? <laughs> so we took it all in. He took it in, took it in, and then you know, it was like a volcano. He also, I understood he also felt stressed, but it may, at the end of the day, because he didn't speak it, it managed him and he, he, like, he interrupted like a volcano and he spoke unpleasantly toward me. And then I had the choice, right? I said, okay, now we already have one hour, whatever I'm doing with it. So I, I didn't disconnect from my unpleasant feelings, but at the same time, I could connect to the broader picture and understand what happened there. And then I choose how to manage my emotions. And I said, okay, in the coming hour, it's not a good time to speak and to coordinate expectation, right? Because we, we can't uh, contain it right now. So I did, decided to be professional. And after the presentation, once we succeed, we'll sit and have a conversation. Then we can handle it in a better way. And actually, this is what happened. So we also succeeded with the client and also had a really challenging conversation. However, in a paradoxical way, it increased the trust between us because we really talked about what's bothering each and every one of us. And for me, this is mindfulness. As Viktor Frankl says, mindfulness is the space between the stimulation and the response. And as we broaden this space, we have a free choice to choose our behavior, right? right? So as leaders and managers, first of all, we need to be able to create this space within ourselves, right? In order not to act upon our emotions and the situation, but to handle them. So 
important part. It's not that I disconnected from my feeling and put it aside and continue business as usual. This wasn't the case, and this is not mindfulness for me. But the fact that I did connect to my feelings, however, didn't let them manage me and decided how to manage them, I also got the results that I wanted because we also we had a great conversation that if I would have acted upon my behavior, my feelings before, actually I would have shouted on him and things would go south. So it's the ability to connect to our feelings and to our internal world and manage it instead of being managed by it. So this is how I bring it to the as an exposure to understand the essence of mindfulness and how it helps us to, at the end of the day, gain the results that we want. When you discussed or when you had a chance to talk to your coworker after the presentation or whatever it was, what was the response? His response? It wasn't, a t- it was a tough conversation. He was really, how should I name the, the emotions that he felt? He also had uncomfortable feelings and he took them out and that was great. He said what he feelings and there was, it was really an emotional talk, talk because each and every one of us talked from his heart and shared what he felt, the uncomfortable feelings that he felt. So we could really listen to each other from a different place in a deeper place. Uh, and at the end, he, show, he shared with me his experience, you know. So at the end of the day, something new emerged because we really listened and we were in this unpleasant situation, not, not for him and not for me. But it, sometimes we need to be there, right, in order to go through something. Otherwise, we are not, it's like a, I call it a fake harmony, you know. We don't talk, but something stuck within us, but we don't give it place. So, we actually created place. So he shared his also frustration and uncomfortable feelings, but that's what's good. that was good. Thank you for sharing. And what are the different components in a mindful, mindful based, mindfulness based leadership that you teach? So you know, first of all, it's the ability to to be present, as we say, to be mindful and to hold the tensions. You know, I say that the modern world contains a lot of tensions, right? Between even the organization world, between the short term and the long term, between the employees' needs and the organization needs, between speed and quality. So the ability to be present with the tensions without closing it, but creating space and handling the space tensions, enable a new solution to emerge. So I'm helping when I teach mindfulness-based leadership is the ability to be present in the unknown, to create a dialogue space. You know, in my PhD, I found a crucial element for leaders nowadays to lead creative and innovative company, I call it the dialogue space. It's actually creating a space for a different conversation. The ability to be present with the unknown, there to show up fully, to share my experience. I don't know, need to come with the answer. And I need to respect other op- uh, opinions, right? Other assumptions. I need to share my assumption, my experience, and to put it aside and to listen to other people according to this situation. And once we're creating space for various experiences and viewpoints, something new can emerge and we don't do more of the same. So this is what I teach in my course, how to be present, how to listen from a deeper place, how to come from an open mind, open heart, but also open will. To be compassionate, how to be there for others, to help them without losing yourself, yeah, but 
being compassion for others, seeing others from a more human place. Um, how to connect to ourselves. I think, you know, for me, mindful leadership is the ability to connect to myself and from this place to connect better to others, to be authentic, to be vulnerable, to engage people from a deeper place. Do you suggest practices to the leaders when you work with? Sure, you know, it's a transformative course. People are going through a transformation, through an experience. As you know, mindfulness is not something you can learn from your mind only, right? We need to, the full experience. Yes, we're going, we... You know, in the retreats, I also facilitate retreats, so we take three or four days off. We take go to a nature surrounded by nature, and that's amazing. And people can disconnect from the day-to-day and be fully immersed in the experience. And we practice meditation. We open the day with meditation, walking meditation, sitting meditation, even eating meditation in the breakfast. That's amazing. Each and every one sits with themselves and eats. It's a great experience. And then we're starting to work also with the focusing method, really practicing, listening deeper to ourselves and to others. And, you know, then the clarity comes, emerge, and different insight and can emerge while we are busy, busy, busy. We don't give place to this wisdom to arise. Let me ask you this. What is your favorite breakfast? What is my favorite breakfast? You know, I'm a vegan, so not not eggs. <laughs> a vegan breakfast. <laughs> what does it mean? What do you eat in vegan breakfast? Avocado. You know, there's a lot of uh, plant-based nowadays. So cheese, plant-based, and uh, also eggs, uh, plant-based. Salad. How long have you been vegan? For almost nine years. May I ask you, what was your motivation to becoming vegan? <laughs> yeah, I see your face. How are you doing? Like, compassion. This is actually was my motivation. Honestly, I never loved so much, so much meat. I didn't connect to it, but at the end of the day, the compassion uh, made me do the move and stop eating meat. Although I didn't eat a lot, but... Compassion for whom? For animals. I'm vegetarian. I don't eat meat. You don't eat meat? Ah, so you're not surprised. <laughs> Why do you don't eat meat? Why don't you eat meat? Why don't I eat meat? I was born and raised in a family where nobody ate meat. So uh, I had this automatic habit or behavior of not eating meat, which I don't feel like changing it. I'm perfectly fine of being vegetarian. There's a great food there, no? I think there's... Great food. What is your bre- uh, breakfast that you like? <laughs> <laughs> now that you're saying that you also don't eat meat. <laughs> you know, sometimes protein bars, sometimes oatmeals. I don't eat until 11 o'clock, until noon. So most most you of the time it is oatmeal. Uh-huh. So okay. now going back to you, and uh, let's talk about your book, Mindful, Mindfully Wise Leadership. Tell us, why did you write this book? Because I wanted to bring this knowledge from the academia to the world, you know. So five years ago, I understood it. Understood it's, it's going to happen. But I was really busy, and I didn't feel like writing then. So I asked for myself to know when it's the right time to take it forward. And then, like, three years ago, I started to get signs from the environment. You know, people, when I was lecturing, asked me, Did you write, do you have a book? And I was practicing in a Zen um, 
uh, group and the teacher they asked me also told me it's about time and you know people I I, I started feeling that it's about time to write the book and what was the most uh, inspiring thing for me when I talked with my Zen master I, told, I was going to San Francisco to the wisdom 2.0 conference uh, and he told me you know you need to go there and come back with the publisher and it was really in the beginning of the process so you know for putting an intention as we put it here before the podcast I took my 300 pages PhD and put it in my suitcase to show that I'm really intentional about creating it from the book and I went I came to the United States and I was really enjoying the conference the wisdom 2.0 conference it was about the new leadership actually with LinkedIn and at the end of the conference I think Scott told us sit with the Scott? Scott Chad the head of mindfulness and compassion at LinkedIn, he actually facilitated, Ian Soren facilitated the conference. So they told us, okay, now pair, sit next to the partner that sits next to you and do an exercise. And you know what was the funny part? That the person who sat next to me was the editor that edit PhD into books. So for me, it was a great sign that it's about time. <laughs> who is your Zen master? No, he's not anymore. He's from Israel. I... I I really eclectic. I, I, I practice in different sanghas and different um, teachers. So for me, I called you Val Gil. I don't know if you know him. I don't practice there anymore right now. Uh, but he told me then to do it. Do you follow any one philosophy or you just try to combine different things? Actually, I'm really eclectic. eclectic. I follow the Buddhism uh, the Zen, but also different, you know, like the focusing, I follow different uh, path to this, to be more present and increase self-awareness. So I don't have one teacher, although I had uh, a teacher in the last three years. I, however, it finished with a big disappointment on my end, so I continued on. And, you know, I, it's interesting because I also in my PhD wrote about that, you know, I... I have issue with the gurism. I don't. I believe that we need to take control over our life, and we need to learn from people. But at the end of the day, take the control within ourselves and not give it to other people. And I think in this connection, sometimes people lose their power and give it to someone else to to lead them. And I don't believe in it. And I believe that each and every one of our teachers have what to give us. But there's a time I think that. The teacher gave us what he needed to give, give us and we can continue on maybe to the next teacher. Uh, so I encountered a really challenging situation and I was really disappointed after, after four years and I listened to myself and I appreciated and was grateful for what he gave me, but I felt it's time to go on. So now I'm looking for my new teacher. <laughs> Do you know anyone? <laughs> <laughs> You have mentioned a couple of times that you listen to yourself, you are connected to yourself. Does it come naturally to you to listen to yourself? Well, I don't understand. You're asking if it doesn't come naturally? Does it come naturally to you to listen to yourself? Today, today yes. Not in the beginning of my journey. You know, in the beginning, as I said, I was disconnected from myself. But now I'm really connected to myself. Yeah, I can be in a situation and feel uncomfortable feelings and I will listen to it. And I, I know it's 
have something to say to me. So I won't ignore it. So today I'm really connected to myself. I, you know, I also get, like, if I have a question, I can go to sleep and ask myself a question before I'm going to sleep and I will get the answer in my dream or we'll have clarity of, on this issue. Uh, and then I will have the bigger perspective. Yes, yeah, so I'm really connected to myself. Could you share any burning question that you have these days in your mind that you go to sleep with? Okay, I will tell you. In the beginning of COVID, you know, when everything was shut down, so I didn't know what to do with myself. So I went to sleep and asked myself, how can I serve my community, my clients now that I don't know what to do? And I asked myself repeatedly and I went to sleep with this question. And when I woke up, you know, I opened the newsletter or Facebook and I started seeing signs, what I, can, what I need to do. And I understood that I need to arrange my community uh, gatherings to discuss and be present with them. So once I ask the question, you know, then you can see the answer. And now that I'm mindful and I'm with the beginner's mind, I can see the opportunities. I can see this answer. In the past, I didn't see it. So we need actually to practice this kind of state of mind to be open, right, to the situation, to what's wants to emerge what's needed from us. How would you encourage someone who may be disconnected from oneself and unsure about how to connect with oneself? So I will offer them to go, first of all, to find maybe a group to practice with the group, you know, to create space for himself. For himself. Maybe even start by finding a good partner to speak with them. It can be a good friend, you know, Having conversation with friends, it's also really helpful, right? Because they can reflect back to you what you're feeling and uh, help you understand what you're going through. You can go, you know, to therapy if you don't feel like going meditating. So there's a lot of path to go connect to yourself. And what do you offer them? I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychologist. So what you're saying are perfect places to go to finding a friend, having a support system, and have been consistent with these practices. And once mm-hmm. you become good at these practices, life will become, or life will throw different challenges. Life is all about challenges, learning and growing, having joy and suffering at the same time. Buddha said, you can't have just, I'm going to paraphrase, you cannot have just joy, you will have suffering. Once you have suffering, knowing that the joy will come. So joy and suffering are two ends of pendulum. You get to experience both and these practices will really help you. So personally in my life, when I'm consistent with these practices, it really helps me to stay grounded. If I'm not meditating, which does not happen at all, I I make it a priority to journal, to meditate. Does it make me a better person? I'm not sure about that, but it helps me to stay grounded. But when I'm grounded, my conversations are different. I'm more kind when I'm not Doing these practices, I may not be kind. We are human beings. These practices mm-hmm. won't fix us. They will help us to go deeper and deeper. And once you think you have gone deeper, there is another place to go deeper. So I don't want to make this podcast about me, but this week, as we are recording this podcast in February, my whole week is contemplating on longing, desire, love. I'm thinking about longing. What is longing? What is longing for love be like? So I'm thinking along those tangents. So these are great practices. You get to have some support system. You can do all this thing on your own. Anything else you want to add to what I said, Karen? 
No, I think uh, you're right. You need to be consistent. And you, you know, at the end of the day, we really need to want to change that you, people are, when are we changing and trans, want to transform or from pleasure or from uh, pain, right? Usually from pleasure, we don't do it, but from pain and suffering. So I think people, I offer people, invite people to do it out of joy and exploration, but sometimes people get there without any choice because they're really suffering, you know, so they're looking for cure. So I do uh, agree with you. They need to put a practice in place and be consistent. And this will change their and life. And it's, it's difficult to really experience pain because pain is the greatest motivator. And when you're in the pain, you may not see the hope. There, there are times I get hopeless about the future, about uncertainties. But, you know, when you are deep in the pain and still having a knowing that you will get through this, there is always light towards the end of the tunnel it's not always going to be sad and painful and how we can learn and grow from this and just be with the pain and ask for support ask for therapists ask for different coaches ask to talk to friends who have capacity to empathize with you and not going to friends who may discourage you Yeah, you're right. You know, my mom, when I was struggling with my periods, my mom told me a great sentence. She said, yes, remember periods going, uh, passing on. So it's only a period in your life. It's like, you know, so like in Buddhism, they say that the skies are only, always blue, even there's uh, clouds. So I think we need to remember it in our mind that even that we are struggling and having a challenge in times, it will pass on. So the ability to be present with it and understand that it's part of the journey and it's not all the journey will enable us to let go. And once we will be able to immerse with the pain, then it can transform and go away. If we will try to get this unpleasant feeling away, they won't get away, right? As you say, what you resist persists, right? <laughs> yes, and trying different ways to connect to the higher vibration of yourself. I listen to Abraham X a lot of times. So she talks about connection to the higher vibration when you are feeling very low vibrationally you don't feel like to do any shit in life so how do you connect to the higher vibration going for a walk going to a hike listen to a good music that elevates your positive emotions how you know connecting to different positive emotions when you are truly really feeling it that's the work when you don't want to do this when you don't feel like to do this that's the life telling you to go towards it, go closer to doing the work, then you don't want to do it. That is when it's a sign. It's a signal from life that this is the place you have a breakthrough waiting for you, right? Yes, I agree with you. Exactly. Go through. Dare to be there, you know, and then something can change. Otherwise, it won't. You know what I find really challenging during the, the journey, and you talked about it before, you mentioned it, it's to let go. I found it, you know, in my courses, I said, it's a great slide, but for me, it's the most challenging one. Because, you know, sometimes we get into a situation that the patterns that we know doesn't serve us anymore, relationships that serve us till now, but doesn't serve us anymore, Right. And it's a job that I worked in. Now I don't feel meaningful anymore. So we need to courage and because we're moving on, right? We're evolving and sometimes it doesn't fit us anymore. So I think the most challenging thing is to 
be able to let go and to, you know, be in a vacuum and be in the uncertainty and create space for the new because otherwise we are getting stuck in the old one that we are not pleased there anymore. But, you know, it's a common ground, so it's comfortable, but it's not actually. And I think this is a big challenge. What do you think about it? Letting go is not easy. Letting go is tough. You let go. You think you did let go. And then you feel like you are still clinging to that thing or object or to that person. It's a dance. It feels that you are not clinging to it, but at the same time you feel like you are still clinging to it. It's a work. It's a process. And and you will realize, you will have an experience when you truly let go of that something when that something does not trigger you, when that something does not bother you at all, when that something does not trigger you at all, it means you have let it go. And when you look back in your life, you will see you have let go so many things. And you can do it again in the present moment. And I think... For me, if I speak for myself, the uncertainty about the future in certain areas be, are difficult to be with. We don't know what is going to happen in the future. We only have a choice to be hopeful or to be hopeless about uncertainties, about the future. And I know when I'm hopeless, I'm not acting vibrationally high. So I force myself to be hopeful. It's not easy again. I force myself to be hopeful about situations. What if everything goes fine? It's the mind, which is the enemy, according to Eckhart Tolle. Mind is the enemy which is creating these stories, these negative patterns about the future or about the present that it may not work well, it may not go the way you want. What if we step back, be present, focus on our breath, go for a walk and do something to be present in our body and to connect with our body and come from a place of conscious choice that we have a hope. It's our choice to have hope because if there is no hope, the world will not be running like this. So why not have a dose of hope, a dose of hope, a small dose of hope? That's what I think. What do you think, Karen? I think that the... A crucial element that we need to embrace nowadays is the ability to be in the uncertain. Because, you know, today it's the coronavirus, tomorrow it will be a different thing. I think this is the new normal, the uncertainty that we need to embrace. And this is why we need to find our anchor inside of us and not let the wind or change move us from place to place. And it's challenging. It's not easy for us because it means being in the present moment and not knowing what will be tomorrow. And I'm actually practicing it every day. So sometimes I embrace it in a better way. And sometimes I'm starting to think, okay, what's next? What, how do I handle this uncertainty? I have a lot of um, complexity now. I'm bigger than what I'm going, I'm going to do with it. The sky will be open. I'm supposed to be in the United States. Will I be there? Won't I be there? You know, so it's challenging, but bring ourselves back to the present moment and understanding that we can do what we can do and let go of what we can do. And makes a relaxed mind and calmer place to walk from yes and i appreciate you for having this dialogue in the last couple of minutes <laughs> you challenged me to have this open dialogue with you rather than asking you things as an interviewer so 
since we are getting closer to our time, I want to ask you a few more questions. So your book, Mindfully Wise Leadership, why should people read this book and where they can get it? First of all, they can find out on Amazon. And people want to navigate their own lives and you know, to manage their lives and navigate their life in these challenging times should really each and every one to, that wants to lead his life. You know, it's also in the context of the workplace, but each and every one of us works in different places, right? So this is my answer. Each and every one that wants to take his life and be more aware and how to connect better with themselves, with people, with the colleagues, with friends, with family, uh, and to achieve his goals. Do you know any leader in the world who may be in the politics, who may be indifferent, any arena, who is present, who is calm, who is kind, who is compassionate, who is connected to himself or herself? Look, I don't know personally, but Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft. Uh, Satya Nadella. Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, looks like he's leading from this place of mindfulness, of compassion. You know, he embraced the growth mindset of uh, Duick, Carl Duick, and he implemented it in his culture. And you see where Microsoft is today. So I think he's a good example from leading out of compassion, out of present, out of humility, vulnerability. Yes. Last but not least, where can people find you online? What is the best place for people to find and learn more about you? So they can find me on my web, www.wisdomtolead.co. They can find, I have my own podcast called Mind Your Leadership. And uh, on LinkedIn, Karen Tsuk, T-S-U-K. Great. And I will put all the links in the show notes at nishantgurg.me slash podcast. So any parting thought, any recommendation, anything you want to share before we wrap up, Karen? Uh, I invite people to listen to themselves, to dare to dive deep in themselves, to understand, to see that they are living the path, that they are fulfilled, that they're feeling meaningful. And if the answer is not to dare to act upon it and change the path, because we have a free choice. And let's use it as human beings and bring our present to the world. So this is what I invite in the people. And that's what we humans are different from other animals. So that species that we have a choice. We have a conscious choice at every freaking moment. So thank you so much, Karen, for this amazing conversation. And thanks for taking your time to speak with us. Thank you very much. And thank you for leaving the camera on. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this podcast episode today. If you did enjoy this, please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or you can visit https colon slash slash nishangarg.me n-i-s-h-a-n-t-g-a-r-g.me You can also share this episode with your loved ones to help them live a fulfilled life. You are not alone in this journey. We all struggle in life. There is no shame in talking about it. I go through my highs and lows. I get depressed and these practices help me in living a resilient life. You can also do this. You've got this. Don't judge yourself. You are doing the best you can. And thank you so much again. Thank you.